0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the official UK drummer podcast. Today I speak to the one, the only, my good friend Paul, the funky drummer Jones, who you can hear drumming in the background here with his current group Sigma. Paul's also done stints with Labyrinth, and uh, we actually met on an Ellie Goulding gig uh, a couple of years ago for the Brit Awards. Uh, I love this guy's drumming. Um, how can you not? Listen to that, man. Woo! It's party. It just makes me want to bounce. Paul's really good at fusing electronics and acoustics. He's been doing it for years. We talk about it during the course of this interview. As well as many other topics. So I'm going to quit my blabbering as usual. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the one, the only, Paul Joe. Travis. Hello. Ah, uh, how are you? How's
1: it going? I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. good. How are you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm good, man. It's been a. It's been a pretty productive morning, and uh, you know. Okay. You, you know what it's like. Productive mornings seem to dictate how the way the day is going to go, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> good.
1: Excellent. What have, you, what have you done this morning? What have you? What did you get done that you wanted to do?
0: I uh, just. Uh, you, you know. You know what it's like when when people owe you money, and uh, you've got to send invoices for gigs that you've done or lessons that right. you've taught and, yeah. and you kind, okay. of, all kind right. of like, you weigh it all up and you go, wow, I'm I'm, I'm actually owed some money. It's pretty
1: cool. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know that feeling. So, uh, I feel all too well. I've got the right one as well, actually. When I, when I, when I get back, I'm going to pop out while I'm on the phone with you. I'm going to go through a walk in the sun, actually.
0: Yeah, cool. And
1: cool. then, uh, yeah,
0: wicked. Good. <laughs> well, um, listen, man, just um, firstly, thanks for doing this. Uh, I know I probably sound like a bit of a broken record to anybody who's listening, but um, i like to try and get some sort of information, a bit of a background, a bit of a a history to your beginnings. What made you start? What attracted you to drums? Where you're at now? Just in a nutshell.
1: Okay. Well, um, to begin with, I played guitar for a year. I had guitar lessons at school, classical guitar between the ages of 11 and 12, and um, I guess that kind of was my well, that was my first real experience with an instrument. Um, even though what happened was I wasn't really practicing all that much because I wasn't really into the classical guitar that we were learning. Even though I guess I must have got something out of it. Um, but my introduction to the drum kit was actually through my high school. Um, in my first year where I used to hear um someone practicing every lunchtime in one of the school halls um in what looked like some kind of little practice room or, or storage cupboard or something so one lunchtime i plucked enough courage to knock on the door and um and this guy answered and he turned out to be someone in the last year of high school i was in my first year and he invited me in and he was basically just practicing he used to practice every lunchtime um and invited me in uh and uh, you know i told him that i used to hear I heard the, the, the kit um, every lunchtime and I was kind of interested and he asked me for him to play. Um, he sat down, played a groove, which I think was, uh, if I remember correctly, was like the, the, the groove from Planet Rock by Africa Bamba, which is an old electro record. Um, so he sat down and played it and, and then said, you know, your turn, give it a go. And I think I kind of got the basics of what he was playing and it was pretty much from that point that i just decided that that was the instrument for me really
0: cool so what happened after that so you, did you go home and sort of say to your folks hey i think i want to i want to be a drummer or how long did it take before you got a drum kit what was your first um, drum kit can you remember those kinds of okay. things okay
1: yeah i can remember the first drum kit yeah it was a pearl export um, it was a like a uh, what was it smoky chrome finished pearl export that i bought from a um, music shop in kilburn on kilburn high street blanks music which is no longer there but that was actually the age of 16 so that was actually four years later i started playing kit at 12 age of 12 because um, i went to an older high school so we started at 12 and finished at 16. um and i actually i saved up the money that i earned from a summer job that i did in between school and college and didn't really have anything else to spend it on so i ended up basically going out and buying a drum kit
0: awesome. um,
1: and yeah so and literally I mean, my my story kind of wasn't necessarily one where my parents were, um, you know, supporting me. I think at the time they probably thought, um, okay, so he's interested in, actually, I think they were quite pleased about the fact I played guitar for a bit because I used to end up playing in front of relatives and stuff, family, when they came over. Mm. The little pieces that I knew, but the kit was definitely my thing. It was definitely my thing. I used to practice at school at lunchtime, every lunchtime, got involved with a few things um, at school, like bands and um, even the, the, the big band and stuff. Um, however, most of my interaction was with one individual who was a, a multi instrumentalist who played kits. Um, and I shared my drum lesson with him because I did have instrumental lessons. I had like peripatetic lessons at school, mm-hmm. um, so I shared my drum lesson with him. But he also um, played viola and piano, so he was classically trained and a good reader as a result. Whereas I was all about the ear, it was all ear for me. And I did a little bit of reading too because I was kind of like checking out some of the grades, never end up taking any exams. Um, but we actually formed a unit and we used to play together him on keys, playing left hand bass, and, um, and obviously drums and we actually it was a band basically so that was my first experience of of being in a band which just kind of fell into place I didn't actually have to go searching for people which was really lucky for me
0: like early influences who were who were some of like the guys inspiring you were they just drummers or were you kind of were you, like I remember when I was like coming up and, and learning and, and I was also I was like a teenager but I remember yep. I didn't necessarily get straight into the oh I like this drummer that drummer and this drummer it was more about I was listening to records and thinking oh man yep. how, how did this guy do that or who I wonder who played on this and it took me a while to kind of get into the whole name game of things how was it for you
1: exactly the same. I mean, when I was a kid, um, I was listening to. I grew up in the '80s, so I was listening to all the pop um, that was on the radio. I used to watch Top of the Pops. And um, by the way, um, before I got the guitar, which I think the reason why I actually bought the guitar in the first place
0: um, was 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 due to the fact that I used to sit there with my tennis racket strumming it, oh, um, it?
1: because I thought, hey, I can air guitar as you know as, as good as the best of them. And even though I didn't actually know anything about chords at that. and everything else I was watching and the drumming I was watching by the way probably a little bit later on I thought I could handle no problem Mm. and that's why that's actually what I could see myself doing as well I thought okay so they're playing what I was listening to was pop mainly so a lot of the time it was fairly you know simple playing simple but effective playing Um, so those are like my early my early influences were definitely um, what was happening commercially um, but then and also, I should say, things like, or people like The Police, yeah. um, who one of my drum teachers actually um, brought a, a record in, put it on, and, um, you know, kind of got me to listen to some of the stuff that was going on. I actually forget what it was exactly at the moment. I know I could, I might remember by the end of this podcast, but um, it was actually delay on hi-hats. So mm. that might actually narrow down a few, a few of the songs, a few yeah. of the police songs that do that. Yeah. Um, So Police, I was listening to um, U2, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. Um, I was listening to all of the, um, we're kind of getting into, as I said before, the the early hip-hop and electro as well. So all that stuff I was definitely being influenced by, plus the fact that um, uh, through a Saturday job I had uh, one of the guys that worked in this TV and video rental store that I used to work in gave me a mixtape. Gould, um, Steve Gad. A little bit later on, um, when I started getting a bit more, bit more knowledge, um, then I think actually Dave Wackel, Dennis Chambers for sure, mm-hmm. um, Finney Caluta, and, and then the kind of list goes on really. Oh, um, those are my first influences really. Cool. Um, but it was always pretty much for me um, a mix of it was a mix of um, the soul stuff. Say for instance Anita Baker with with all of that kind of stripped down playing, and then the other side um, with the um, you know with uh, kind of more extravagant stuff with uh, whatever it is jazz funk or fusion and you know all that all that that kind of stuff as well as um, I guess I was listening to quite a lot of club stuff as well at the time kind of nightclub stuff house and. And other bits and pieces on pirate radio because it all kind of got mixed up really between the ages of maybe about 16 and 19 and 20 because I, I was going clubbing as well, um, dancing to like post acid house stuff and the Lyric house and all that kind of stuff. So it was all really mixed up for me. Cool. Um, so drum, drumming and and the programming side of things were mm. kind of you know kind of combined.
0: Well, let's talk about that for a second because. You know, there's, uh, it seems to be split down the middle, kind of, with the guys that I talk to. Some guys kind of feel that drums should be acoustic drums, and that's what they are. And then, then there's this whole breed of other guys, and I kind of feel that I'm on this side. I like drums for being just what they are, but we're living in a time now where technology is so accessible, and you can, you can do or make some amazing sounds if you program things and you sample them. Uh, did that come easily to you? Did, you? did you kind of like have to put as much time and effort into kind of learning how to program and sample things as what you did into actually playing? Or was it just, it interested you and it, it, was, it was happening. It was like, man, I, I, there's no other way I'm gonna do this.
1: It was more of a, um, a natural thing for me. It wasn't a case of um, I need to sit down and try and work out how to sample, how to program. It was something that I started to do, kind of naturally, because I was into the electronic stuff as well in the house. Um, my first, my first kind of experience of sequences was with the the early Atari ST computers with Cubase, mm-hmm. and um, and also, I think probably just before that, the BBC Archimedes computer mm-hmm. with whatever that was running at the time, um, sequencer-wise. So I was actually programming stuff. On those computers, um, really early on, not necessarily coming out with anything else, anything that ended up getting released, but I had some experience with it. So um, some of my playing on the acoustic kit would be that too. It would, it would basically whatever I heard, I tried to play it. So. and play that on the kit so um they were never they were never separate in my mind the first time to answer the question the first time i actually got involved with probably purchasing any electronics and pads and things um was was probably i mean andy Gangadine is a big influence of mine
0: yeah
1: so um, yeah amazing drummer uh, and amazing ears as well actually um he was um one of the people that was, uh, I guess, one of the people that it inspired me, and I, and I knew that he was kind of at the forefront of, of you know, combining electronics um, and acoustic drums. I actually used to listen to him playing on early incognito records. The his playing I was definitely I definitely tuned into because of the way that he played and because it was so tight firstly and secondly the way he played was very much like a lot of electronic stuff that I was listening Terms of the trigger pads and things. So that was kind of. This is, I guess, you could kind of talking about the early. Let me think. Um, what would it be? Maybe late. It was late '90s, I guess. It must be late '90s. Um, so, like I said, going back to the question because I know that I've drawn this whole thing out.
0: No, um, no, no, it's cool. It's cool.
1: I, I, you know, I, I really honest with you it, w- it was kind of a natural thing because of the way that my mind works um, and the experience that I'd had on computers so then when I did actually you know figure out what kind of bits and pieces I was going to buy in terms of the pads and what I was going to use to actually store the samples um that bit of homework that I did research was through other drummers yeah. and then um it was just a case of choosing some sounds so it wasn't like a massive, you know, it wasn't like a massive, massive learning curve,
0: cool. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now, um, you're obviously you're doing the Sigma gig. You're the the MD of that, right? I am, yeah. And um, you you've done stuff with Labyrinth, and and we obviously met um a few years ago when we were both on that Brits gig. That's let's right, let's yeah. talk about gigs for a bit, because um, <laughs> I, I mean, again, I talk about it in most of the podcasts I've done so far, but. There seem to be a, a lot of people out there who aren't sure about how to go and get gigs or, you know, what to even do on a gig. Like, I know a lot of guys spend a lot of time in their bedrooms practicing. That's wonderful. I think yeah. it's great. But let's uh, let's just kind of talk about that for a bit. Let's talk about how you maybe got some of the gigs you've done, um, how you try and keep the gigs you've done, and then as okay. a musical director, what you expect from people that you employ for the gigs that you mm-hmm in charge of
1: okay getting the gig acquiring the, the gig in the first place um it, it is a tricky thing i mean to be honest with you when you're when you're starting out um me personally the, the the biggest word that i use is gravitate so i think that if there's a particular um style of music if there's a um uh, a particular group of people, maybe, that you are really into and influenced by, um, then you end up gravitating towards them. When, when to, to give you, a, um, I guess, like a, an example, um, in Manchester when I was in my kind of early years of, because my music, serious music making, really started up there, just because of the age that I was, that I was when I was there. I used to go to jams, uh, I used to go to a jam, a place um, called Matt and Freds. Now I used to be called PJ Bells. I used to go there every week and hang out um, and play. Obviously, I did a little bit of live sound engineering as well. Mm-hmm. But the point is, I used to get up and play with whoever, I, you know, irrespective of, 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 um, of, like I said, who it was or whatever the star was. You just basically tried to. A little jazz depth um, at the Dorchester, um, yeah, that's and it—it it, it was yeah, it was one of one of the one of the first things I did. One of the other first, I guess, kind of serious engagements or whatever that I that I picked up along the way, and that's this is after going to lots of different jams myself and stuff. Was um, was to be house drummer in a band um, in a bar on Laverick Grove. It's mm-hmm. called the Iron Bar. It was run by a guy called Noel McCoy. And um, I had that for about a year, I'd say. And same thing happened. I got to meet loads of different people. Um, You get to play with um, lots of different musicians, singers, rappers, um, spoken word, poets, whoever you want to, you know, whoever whoever comes through the door. But you get, you have to learn all these different disciplines. You you have to learn, how to interact when to play when not to play when to shut up when to kind of do your thing as fresh on the kit and it's a great learning ground um and i have to say then comes sometimes for some people
0: function work Mm. um i'm not one of these people that's done a hell of a lot of studio recording so most of my experience has really been you know playing live work Mm -hmm. um so that's mainly what i talk about when i when people you know ask me about what my drumming career has, has been like and, and how I've you know, got to, to be where
1: I am at the moment. Um, and so a lot of my learning and the, the versatility of my playing has come from all of these different um, areas that I've been involved in over the years. Um, and so this kind of comes, really, it brings me up to the point where, I mean, my first gig was actually back in, in Manchester with a band called Cleopatra. It was three sisters
0: Totally cool.
1: And that and that was actually, that was actually, um, th- there were four gigs on the on the table and they were all stadium gigs supporting Spice Girls on their last, their last world tour, mm-hmm. part of their last world tour. And actually, consequently that's how I got to meet Andy Gangadine yeah. because he was playing for them at the time. So I actually got to meet him then. So going back to the, um, so from Manchester to London, my next kind of, With it's crazy, like, man. No the there. shops and the no venues—it's—it's—it's
0: uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bit—a bit, uh, now, bit I concerning.
1: Mean, really ultimately it's never really changed is is for people to be able to hear you mm. they, they no one's ever going to book uh, a person a musician or a singer without hearing them first is good time you need to have good people skills um, to, to, you know, to be okay socially interacting you need to be versatile uh, dynamic within your playing um, and open did I miss anything there from what I said before
0: no nope. no nope. totally totally nailed it man
1: yeah I, th- I think that's what you need I mean make the odd mistake here or there
0: Um, you personally as the musical director hiring Musos for your gig what what do you expect from them what what should they be bringing to the table same kind of characteristics
1: exactly the same kind of characteristics So, um, we did that. The, the string players were brought in from the management side, and then I brought in the um, the BVs, and through someone I knew, I actually contacted her, and she in turn contacted a couple of other people that she knew that would be able to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bass player and the keyboard player um, I knew, so I brought those in. And um, to be honest, they did an amazing job. The strings players, were really 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 pleasant everyone was the main thing that I remember from that was that everyone got on so well with each other mm. um, there were smiles the whole way around the room you know in the rehearsals and on the day and um the vibe was great because they were they were really into what they were doing cool. and I, I mean my main my main criteria really was that I knew that they would be able to handle music. Mm. Um, that they would be like I said before open to suggestion um, and then they would make it feel good cool. and it would it would it would seem as if you know they have been playing that like, music for ages mm-hmm. so um, that, that was the situation at the moment the band has actually had the, I mean the Sigma guys Joe and Cam are really you know kind of instrumental in what goes on on stage so my job is actually I guess Really, it's shared. It's shared between myself and them. Mm-hmm. So, um, at the moment, we have three singers. Two of which um, started the gig in the first place, and actually had uh, were involved with them. Um, one of them actually is on one of the singles, the biggest single, "Nobody to Love," Daniel Pierce. And then um, the other singer that was there to begin with was actually brought in to do some to sing on a demo, of changing actually the song that "Plumber Faces" on. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was she was brought in for that and ended up consequently ended up, you know, being used as part of the live act. So we had two singers, we have an M C that has worked with them for ages anyway, and then myself on drums and the guys basically are playing various bits bits of keyboards and um triggering stuff as well. So, um my job with them basically is to is I get completely involved with, with the music. Um there is quite a lot of playback going on. We use Ableton Life all that. Mm-hmm. So I completely get involved with what is played, what isn't played, um, with drums and with the other the other areas as well. Um and also what is sampled and what isn't for the guys to play as well. So yeah. it could be, you know, hits, drum hits, it could be effects, it could be even even vocal samples and things. And then obviously they will obviously be also requesting that certain bits and pieces um are you know made um made available for them to play as well so between myself and the um the the midi technician um we basically make all of that you know um available for them um and then when it comes to vocals um some of the you know some of the decision making and some of the um some of the ideas come from me um or I work with closely with Daniel Pierce who's who's absolutely amazing at vocal arranging and, and all sorts, is an incredible vocalist. So it's like a joint effort. Mm. Um, and that that is kind of how it works. It's it's more of a family unit with, with you know, with Sigma. But when it you know, when we've got new songs to learn, all the bits are sent to me first and then, you know, we kinda of take it from there. Cool. So yeah, that's how it works.
0: Teamwork, man, teamwork, it's good.
1: Yeah, it's great, honestly. The, the, the Sigma gig is great and if anyone listening listens to this podcast hasn't seen it yet, either go and check some footage out online, there's plenty of it, or um, come and see a gig cool. in the summer. We've doing quite a few festivals. It's a great gig to see. Um, we've actually got, my drum tech. actually is a great drummer, plus he's a great guitarist too, so he's actually
0: um, on guitar. We've actually got him playing some guitar on some of the tracks now great. as well. So gonna be
1: getting another drum tech in, obviously to come for him when he's playing <laughs> or he's on stage. But it's it's totally developed in an organic way. So cool. we've actually got guitar in there as well, you know, drum bass, live drum bass, vocals, MCs, um, you know, live drums, all all
0: of it. It's great. It's a great cool. mix. Well, I mean I saw that. I saw the some of the schedule online. You guys are doing some super, super cool things. I even saw <laughs> And and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw you put up a picture on Facebook you, you guys were doing a festival or are gonna do a festival and Iron Maidens on the bill. That's yeah, that's, so right. Cool, that's man. right. I know,
1: I know, I know. Um, it is a festival, I think it was oh, um, uh, was it in Hungary? I think it was in Hungary. I think it is in Hungary. I can actually check and have a look at my computer right now. Actually to see that. Um, but yeah, that's 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 something that we've got coming up which is really cool. Um and then we have we've actually got Reading and Leeds this year as well, which cool. I'm super excited about because believe it or not I've never played. I've I've um I've played quite a few of the others. We managed to do Glastonbury last year, which was which actually my first time there ever. Oh, wow. Um yeah, um so we've got that this year, Reading and Leeds and we've also got um Wireless Festival which is always really cool. There it is, Vaults vault festival cool and um, yeah I think that's in Hungary but yeah that's a major it's a major one it's going to be
0: amazing well I mean so Um, so with all of those kinds of gigs in in the pipeline and all the cool things that you've done and and I'm sure you've got many aspirations to still do many things but Mm -hmm. what are some of your bucket list moments like uh, have you still got a lot of things you you really hope still happen or have you ticked anything off that you thought would never happen you know um, there are some
1: things that I've done that I, that, I, that I definitely am pretty amazed and still you know still kind of real when I think about them um, I mean for instance we played at, uh, when I was with Labyrinth in fact the Labyrinth gig really was was, was a massive massive learning curve for me mm.
0: um, through playing the, um, you know the Tarpus
1: kit that I play at the moment I was working closely with Andy as I'm saying Andy, Andy mm. Um and that kit really I, I owe a lot of you know what i'm doing now to him because you know the the, the concepts of that kit was really his. um i've played a lot of that stuff before and i'm obviously all the gear that i'm using on cb gig is mine and it was on, on the Labyrinth kick too but just the way that the kit was actually put together um you know i, I owe a lot to him so um learning really to handle a kit like that um and also working really closely with another drummer actually can, yeah. be, can be quite daunting to be honest because especially when you've got to play all the stuff in front of him he's the md and he's the drummer but you know because he's a drummer he, he knows exactly everything that's going on yeah. he knows perhaps you know if you've made a mistake what the intention was you know it, you know it's like it's be unspoken sometimes you will come over and go Cool. you know that, um, and I'd be, like, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I know, you're talking about that thing, aren't you, like, you yeah. whatever, and he'll be like, yeah, 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 I'd be like, don't worry, don't worry, um, i got it covered, but, um, so, one of the, um, yeah, one of the things, that, or a few of the things that we did with Labyrinth, I mean, we did loads of festivals all over the place, it was, it was really, um, it was really the chance to, to, to play lots and lots of different big stages, and um, whether we
0: play Monterey Jazz Festival is actually a smaller indoor stage, but that that was a bucket list. Actually, yeah, completely. Just
1: because I know so many people have played at that thing. Um, so really, doing that, all the UK festivals that we did, um, really, it's, it's 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 basically just being grateful to to, to be playing um, these sorts of stages and, and sharing them with with other great musicians from other bands, you know, or from all over the world, and getting to watch. Bits of, of gigs as well, um, you know, from the side of the stage or, or out front or whatever. Um, that's that's one of the things I guess it's a bit of a general thing, but that that is one of them. We're doing this gig at the moment. I'm using a lot of electronics um, combined with the acoustic drums. I would still love um, to actually be doing something like um, like a kind of I don't know. Not a hard rock thing, but um a kind of alternative kind of band cool perhaps with a small kit um you know kind of um uh, bigger toms, just a simple thing where it's you know basically song based yeah um that that is one of the things that I would still love to do um in terms of um in terms of travelling and and venues and things um wherever. You know, I'm open wherever. One of the things I haven't actually ever done is play at Shepherd's Empire. I've actually played at the O2, mm-hmm. and I've played at um, Brixton Academy the other day, and um wherever else. Never played at Hammersmith Apollo, but for some reason, Shepherd's Bush Empire, um, I would still love to play at.
0: It's gonna um, happen, man. It's gonna happen.
1: It's it's, it's a weird one, but yeah, I still I would still love to. I think it's probably because it's one of the venues that kind of closer. To, to home because, you know, Jebus Bush is just down the road and it's just, mm. it's been there forever. Um, so that's one of the things. And then, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe one day I get to end up in a kind of alternative band, you know, playing epic songs, some, like, epic songs with majorly, majorly quality um, songwriting, you know, stuff that's going to last forever, basically. Cool. I think th- those are the things that um, that I still love to do, I reckon.
0: Awesome. So um, I've only got a couple more questions. The one's a bit of a strange one, and the one's mm-hmm. a pretty, I suppose, serious as, as seriously you want to take it one. But um, I just thought I would uh, ask because I, I don't even think a lot of people realise that this happened. But so we had both done Instagram Zildjian Instagram takeovers uh, last year. Yes, that's right. Right, their page mm-hmm. was uh, and still is killer, but like. Mm-hmm. I've, I've really wrecked my brain about that, like um, when I found out that their, their accounts had been hacked and all those photos were gone of all the takeovers and, and all the drummers that had oh, like, put so many thoughts and stuff in. And, and I they didn't were, know about that. Oh, you didn't know? I didn't know about Yeah, that. man, their Instagram got hacked and um, and basically no everything that was up there is gone you know oh or at God. least it was the last time i mean um i know right. that i know that they did some campaigning and i know that they regi- uh, they eventually got the um the actual um account itself back but as far as i'm aware right. and i'd have to double check this but but uh-huh. as i'm talking to you as far as i'm aware the um the photos and stuff were all gone whoever did that like i just can't understand why you would do something like that like no i can't like, and I was going to ask, I thought you knew about it. And I was going to say, why, why do you, like, do, have you got any opinions? Like, what, what the hell? Why would, like, I've never understood the whole hacking thing. I mean, a couple of years ago I had the, the UK drummer website hacked and um, I found out who did it and everything. And he was this dude, this young, well, at least he appeared to be a young guy. And he, um, he basically like had this website where he would like, put all the details of all the sites that he had hacked, and he had done hundreds, if not thousands. And basically, right. if you had sent him a nice little email and told him how brilliant he was and how mm. you'll, you'll never be as smart as him, he would consider giving you your website back. But I've never really understood right. the whole... Uh, uh <laughs> I don't
1: know. I mean, I think I think it must be... Obviously, it's a power trip. Um, but I, I guess it... I mean, I guess the, the people that hack sites usually um are looking for attention, right? They're attention seeking.
0: That's what I would think. Has to be.
1: Yeah. But I, I have no idea what they actually feel that they would gain from it. <laughs> um, unless unless there was some kind of unless there was some kind of, you know, um you know kind of result for them, some kind of I don't know, blackmail situation or yeah. I have no idea. Unless they actually you know, they wanted something in return. Yeah. Basically, I, I completely can't understand why ever, why anyone would want to do that, especially the Zildjian. I mean, what are you going to do with those? Yeah, with, with the account at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand. And the reason I thought I would bring it up is because I remember briefly at at a bar once you and I briefly yeah. spoke about it, just saying like how much fun it was and how it's yeah. um it's not just a matter of putting a picture of your favorite symbol up and going, hey, this is my symbol. <laughs> <laughs> you actually had to put a bit of work and a bit of thought into it, and it's just, it's uh, it's unfortunate exactly. that it that, was, that was taken it, away. It was an amazing day. It yeah. was an
1: amazing day. Yeah, it even was for amazing. me. It was so I was exciting. Actually really, yeah, yeah. It, just to do, to, to have the, the account details in the first place was pretty incredible. And then, you know, to have, well, basically to have that, that size, that kind of audience, um, and you know that people... Are interested. People are always interested in in you know if somebody's got something going on, whatever it is, um, they're interested in you know in in seeing it from the inside. That's what that's all about. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it's an
0: amazing thing. I mean, actually, I, I recently joined. Um, I recently uh, signed an endorsement deal with Sakai. that's A fairly
1: small company. I, um, yeah, I know a lot of people do know about them now. Um, but it's something that I
0: would like to. Maybe talk to SVM Percussion, who's actually who are the representatives over from the UK, to mm-hmm. Sakai,
1: about and and you know obviously the the, um, the 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 main guys in Japan would obviously have to you know have to be up for it too. Yeah. Um, but to to do the same thing with their account actually to take it over because yeah. I think there's a lot of potential. I mean the drums are amazing and I think it you know it's a unique way. It's a it's an ideal way of, of reaching a lot
0: more people. um, And plus, it gives you, it gives the the viewer or whoever's interested in that sort of product, it gives them a bit of an insight into something other than just a biog that might be placed on a website. Yeah, It's it's kind of cool. It gives it like a little personal touch. It's, I think it's super rad, like I'm I'm all for it and I, I see, I think, again, I'd possibly have to just double check these details, but I, I did see there's some other drum companies now doing it as well. So uh, yeah, I think, I think Zildjian absolutely. were on to it, you know? I think, um, I think, yeah,
1: Natal are doing one with, um, Steve Barney. Yeah. I think he's, or maybe just had one. It might've been yesterday or something actually.
0: Yeah. Okay. Last question, Paul, what yep. do you think has been the best piece of advice you have ever received in regards to your musical career? And it can be numerous pieces of advice if you can't narrow it down. That's totally cool. Yeah. Um,
1: I guess a couple of couple of them. Um, one of them one of them, which I'll never forget, was actually it came from a keyboard player friend, and um, he basically suggested that i that I rim, that I hoop crack the snare because I never used to do it before playing, <laughs> before th- that particular gig. Um, and so that was a suggestion for him, because he was like, yeah, you're playing great, but hear the snare drum, if you just do this, then it's totally going to cut through all of the music. Um, I'll never forget it. Um, and it. It kind of works. Um, it's not something that you necessarily always do, but mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. That was one. Another one, I guess, is, is a bit more of a general thing, but, it, but it's, a great, it's a great piece of advice for anyone, really, playing in a band situation. Or where you need to take cues from somebody. Um, and that was actually the, the, the jam thing, the singer's night that I used to do in central London at Tem Room. Um The lead singer there, or the guy that used to run the whole thing, Patrick, I used to have my head down. I used to basically be in my world. Grooving, whatever, you know, um, and he'd be like, Paul, oh, Paul, oh, you missed the cue, man, you missed the cue. <laughs> so, it was basically, advice there is to be looking around the whole time. Don't forget that you're on the stage with other people and try, you know, try not to kind of disappear into your own little world. You know, it's all very well, you know, if you're kind of like in the zone. And everything, but try and be in the zone and in the room at the same time. Cool. So I think that's probably the other one. I can't really think of anything else right now.
0: That's cool. Both great pieces of advice. Awesome. Paul the Funky Drummer Jones, thank you so thank much you. for doing this, buddy. Amazing. Thanks very
1: much, Travis. It's been cool. amazing talking to you today.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks a lot, man. Bye.
1: All right. Okay. Cheers, man. Bye.
0: There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for continuing to support our podcast. You can check us out at ukdrummer.com. Alternatively, check us out on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, all that social network business. My name is Travis Mark. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, all of that social network business. Otherwise, we will catch you next time, where I talk with my good buddy, Kez Rodriguez. If you've not heard of him, you're going to love that podcast. He's a seriously interesting cat. Alrighty, I got to get out of here. got to go practice, do some yoga, I don't know, do something cool. But until next time, keep on rocking. Keep those beats attacking. Be a good person. Peace out, homies.